Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and as I said last week, our conference previews are in the books, so if you want to go back and listen to what myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, what we think about all the top players in all the top conferences around the college football landscape, you just go and listen to the last eh, six, seven episodes or so, and you'll be able to find out exactly how we feel about all the top players. Now, last week, we did kind of a, a reset on the top offensive players, right? We went through uh, some of the opt-outs on the offensive side of the ball, guys that have already entered the 2021 NFL Draft, and also talked about who we felt some of the top players were at each position. We're going to do the same thing this week, except on the defensive side. So we'll do all of that uh, here today. Now, next week, we are reverting to our in-season format, which I can say, and I said this, I believe, on last week's show, We are now reverting to two episodes a week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Early in the week, you'll hear from myself, Ben, and Dane talking about uh, everything that happened in the week that was in college football. And then a little bit later in the week, me and Ben are going to sit down. We'll we'll kind of preview the weekend. We'll be joined by another guest as well. We've got a couple names uh, that will be joining us every single week here starting next week. I cannot wait for you guys to experience what we've got here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Now, before we get into Draft Buzz, Real quick, just want to remind you guys, best way to throw us your support, go on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Uh, we got a mock draft last week that I talked about at the end of the show. If you've got a mock draft of your own, I don't care if you're an Eagles fan, if you're a fan of any team in the NFL, or if you just want to take a stab at the top 15 picks, throw it on there. We'll talk about it here on the show. Or if you just got a question about a specific player, a specific team need, anything you want to talk about, you go on Apple Podcasts, and we will answer it here on the show. We are answering a, a fan question from Apple Podcasts at the end of this show. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about some of the top defensive players in the country. Right now, it's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, guys, let's just jump into it now. Uh, same thing as last week, guys, where we're going to start off with players that have opted out on the defensive side of the ball. I know we had some big names over the course of this weekend. Jamar Chase from LSU, Kenny Gainwell, the running back from Memphis. They are two players that we have talked about already, not in terms of declaring for the draft. So we will hit on them next week. I want to really stick on the defensive side of the ball for the purpose of this episode, guys. So we'll start up front. Miami defensive end Greg Rousseau opting out of the 2020 season, declaring for the draft as a redshirt sophomore, only really one season of tape on Rousseau. Dane, the big thing, I guess, looking at his transition is just small sample size, but ton of production. Say we were drafting tomorrow for one game next week. I don't know that, I, I, that Greg Rousseau wouldn't be a first-round pick then because he is a, a high upside guy, a high-ceiling player, super long. He's continuing to grow into his body. I mean, when it's all said and done, he'll be 265, 270. And he's not a super twitchy athlete, uh, but he's a good athlete. But when he can untap that power, use that length, you got something there. And so it's an evaluation that is, just like a lot of these projections, it's based so much on the ceiling and the upside. But if you need a player that's going to dominate right now, I just he's not that guy. And so... Uh, it, it really makes for an interesting discussion because, like you said, only one year. He missed his entire first year with an injury, and then last year he totally blew up. And 
highly productive, 19 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks, but he still needs so much development. Former wide receiver, defensive back in high school, still growing at the pass rush position. Really wish we could have seen him one more year, uh, get that extra year of development, but that's not how it's going to be. And so it'll be interesting to see how teams uh, look at him when it comes to draft time. You know, I see a similar stock ability trajectory to Marcus Davenport coming out of UTSA a couple of years ago, who the Saints traded up, really fell in love with in the first round, but was still a guy that was raw, had a lot of tools, a lot of God-given ability, showed a lot on the field, but still had some room to grow. And I know a lot of people have clung to the, to the uh, Daniil Hunter kind of comparison of another guy that showed a lot of tools, but was still ascending in his game. But I think Marcus Davenport in that middle of the first round is probably right where Rousseau is going to end up. You know, just looking at Rousseau and, and his skill set, guys, like, are we talking like Carlos Dunlap? Are we talking Daniel Hunter? There's Demarcus Lawrence, like long guy with... I wouldn't call him like purely explosive, but he's a loose athlete and has the ability to turn the corner, but not super powerful. And that's where some of these other guys, I feel like have, well, you, you talk about Davenport, you talk about Demarcus Lawrence, you talk about Donnell Hunter, like those guys will get inside your chest and drive you backwards four yards into the pocket. And I, I don't know that Russo has that yet, but Dane, like you said, so you're banking on the upside with this dude. Yeah, I mean, is he a, a young Chandler Jones? You know, like, I, I think that there's so many guys that you can say maybe he will be this guy in a couple of years, but you have to connect the dots. And that's what is going to be especially tough this year with several of these players. And Rousseau being at the top of the list in terms of, we just wish we had more tape on him. And now if you're going to have one year of tape, you want it to, or at least the production, you want it to have, look like Rousseau's. I expected to love him more than than I did and ended up right. uh, liking him, not loving yep. him. And I just wish I would have seen more. But when I did my top 50, I, I, I still put him at number 10 overall. And I don't love him. But it just when you try to project forward, you see the upside, you see the ceiling. And so for me, even though I didn't love his tape, even though, you know, I, I think a lot of people are higher on him than I am, I still put him at number 10 overall on my board. You know, another 70 snaps as well at nose tackle last season in those sub package looks. So some interesting alignments as well. But I definitely see that Chandler Jones, you know, the loose, long limbs, which a lot of people talked about Chandler Jones at O-line masterminds the past two summers about just being one of the toughest guys to figure out because of his loose limbs. And I see that that type of player in Rousseau just not there yet with the technique. So another guy I want to talk about who also declared for the draft this time out of the Pac-12 Joe Tryon, uh, an underclassman, a junior, entering his name into the 2021 draft. You know, you talk to people, and to me, like, I, I look at Tryon at 6'5", over 260. He's more ready-made right now to be able to play than a Russo. You know, he's got some more power. He can win in a couple different ways. You know, a better run player right now, I would say, than Russo. Tryon, very, very intriguing. The only area I think you're definitely giving way to Russo right now it's probably like that flexibility. I don't know that Tryon quite has that ability to turn the corner, but a lot of other ways this guy is able to win, Ben. Yeah, and he's very similar to Rousseau in that he's really just a one-year player, and they yep. both have a good size, both 6'5", you know, 260 or so. But Tryon's not a true speed rusher by any means. He's a guy that likes to go through you with that kind of three-way go. He can win inside of you, outside of you, or go right through you. Very technical with his hands. He could play stand-up or the three-point stance. The long frame, long limbs, really good at the point of attack. Reminds me of the way Bradley and I kind of ascended last year. 
a guy that was really violent with his hands, excellent run defender. But the main thing was, ah, oh, he's not going to beat anybody with speed and he's a little stiff hipped, but that's okay. Cause that means you could play on early downs. You're going to play the run and you could stay on the field. And that's where production comes uh, eventually getting after the passer. And even though he's not really a premier athlete, there are some reps where he's dropping into space and he doesn't look totally foreign to that. So I think that you have a player who, along the lines of Rousseau, is still learning the position, trying to figure things out, you know, the the move-to-move sequence, the being able to set up blockers and throwing different things at them that keep them guessing so they can't just key in on one thing and shut you down and and so I think he's still working through all that. And so, again, he's in that conversation. Just wish we would have seen another year of him on the field, another year of development. Uh, but he's throwing his name in, in, into this mix. And so uh, it's going to be interesting. He came in at number 34 overall for me on my top 50 board. So just right there, uh, a borderline first rounder. Uh, but I definitely think he has a chance to, to go in the top 32 when it's all said and done. And nearly 100 special team snaps last year, too. So a guy that's shown that athleticism as well. Punk coverage, kick return, the whole thing. Really pretty good-looking athlete. That's a a really good point, Ben. It's something that's going to be something great to have in his back pocket moving into the next level as well. Guys, let's go to the interior now. A couple of defensive tackles that we talked about during our conference previews that all three of us really kind of liked. And we'll start out west with Jay Tufele from USC. Ben, I, I know he's been a personal favorite of yours for over the last couple of years. Talk about Tufele. What would you have hoped to see from him moving forward? I, we talked about the upside and how impressive he is as an athlete, how violent he is uh, on contact. Is there an area where, man, like I wish I could have seen a little bit more, or do you feel like you've seen enough of him at the college level? Well, he's a really impressive player, but I think he relies a little bit too much on some of those God-given traits. And, you know, the technique lacks just a little bit. Poor pad level eye level, doesn't always find the ball, doesn't have a whole lot of hip snap at the point of attack and shooting across the line of scrimmage. But with that being said, he is a powerful, powerful person. He's very balanced, very heavy handed. He could win with a lot of those just natural abilities. I just want to see him clean up the technique a little bit more, play with a little bit better awareness and really move from being a, you know, number 40 to number 50 overall on big boards into the back end of round one. But He's a powerful player. He's a strong player. And he's going to be right in that conversation with, you know, Marvin Wilson and how you project him to the next level. He looks the part. He's six, three and a half, 315 pounds, has the broad shoulders. Uh, you know, he's a former five-star guy. I agree with a lot of what you said, Ben. And he's one of those guys where I, I finished my top 50 and he didn't make it. And I just kind of was like, oh, I, I, I wish I had room for him because I think that he, he could definitely go there. Uh, he has that type of potential, that type of talent. Just want to see more of it. Uh, I feel like a broken record. Unfortunately, we won't be able to see it this year. So let's go come back to the East Coast now. Uh, Jalen Twyman from Pitt, uh, also opting out of the 2020 season, declaring for the 2021 NFL draft. Six foot two, 290 pounds. I really liked Twyman on film. I had him and Tufele like neck and neck. They do things a little bit differently. Tufele, I think, is able to win more so with power, where Twyman doesn't quite have that sand in his pants to be able to collapse the pocket as well. But I think he's crafty, and he's certainly got that first-step quickness to be able to win off the ball. Would have just liked to see, okay, let's just see another year in terms of your ability to hold up a little bit better on contact, especially, uh, you know, in the run game, can get bumped off his spot a little bit more than I would like to see. But in terms of getting after the quarterback, I mean, this guy's got all the tools in the toolbox to be able to do that outside of that power. Gain, I'll come to you first. What would you have liked to see from Twyman this year, knowing that we're not going to be able to see that? 
No, you're reading off my notes, uh, Fran. It's he's a a quick off the ball type of rusher from the interior. I don't think he's fast. He's not going to run like a, a four six seven like an Aaron Donald. I think he's probably in the fives five one five two even. I don't think he's fast, but he's quick off the ball. Just you want to see him better hold up versus the run because you know, it's great that you're have you know it could be that one gap penetrator, but can you be a guy that you can trust on any down? to hold your spot to it doesn't matter what the offense is doing you're going to you know create disruption and have positive reps so he's undersized he's not Aaron Donald and that's just not going to be for everybody so for me like he wasn't even a player that I, I really considered in my top 50 I, I think he's on the outside looking in for me you know I wanted to see him just against the better competition but in 2020 that pit schedule no Penn State no Clemson for the second straight year. Non-conference games are Miami, Ohio, Richmond, Marshall. Last year was Ohio, and he dominated Delaware. But he didn't have a great bowl opponent, and I just want to see him against some more top-flight offensive lines, to be perfectly honest with you. But we really weren't going to get that in 2020. But a really loose interior defensive tackle that played about 20% of his snaps at defensive end. And I'm not sure he was going to be able to top his 10 and a half sack season last year with a very deep defensive line there. There's a chance he could have walked out with four or five sacks and still being a really good player. But that dominant 2019 season, I really saw flashes of a Nick Fairley style of player. I could see that for sure. Uh, let's go to the linebacker spot. Former Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons. I think you can kind of go to the Greg Rousseau route here where there is plenty more of growth here for Parsons. But to me, like, I think we've seen enough from the physical tool standpoint to make, like I say, like, man, like, this guy's got the ability. You talk about, you know, in baseball, the five-tool player, you know, a guy that can, you know, do so many th- different things for you. Michael Parsons, all the physical tools. The big question I had for him moving forward was the mental side of it, and that's both run game and pass game. You know, I didn't see a super smart player playing in coverage, not to be, you know, not a huge shock because this guy was a pass rusher uh, in high school. You know, when you look at a guy moving backwards, I wanted to see just a little bit more, you know, instincts, especially reading routes and finding his way to the football. And then in the run game, I thought he got a little nosy at times as well. That's an area where you can see him make that growth into his junior season. Again, only a one-year starter. But, Ben, I mean, physically, I mean, this guy has – everything that you're looking for at the second level yeah he has all the tools and he's absolutely going to destroy whatever scouting combine or metric tests he goes through he's going to look really good at 6'3 nearly 250 pounds and allegedly running in the four fours very easily Uh, so he's going to be a good looking athlete and as he gets through all those off the field kind of metrics and tests I think he's just going to keep rising and rising and people like what they saw Leighton Vander Esch in the NFL and he probably could have been in that maybe top 10 conversation after he uh, played a couple of years in the pros. But I think Micah Parsons is that style of player, maybe more of the Derek Johnson and the way he tested as well. Oh, Only that's six, a great one. Six missed tackles last year. This is a guy with long limbs, yeah. gets to the ball carrier, finishes ball carriers, really smooth player, speed, size, instincts, everything plays with his eyes up all the time. There's a lot to like about this kid. <laughs> For a guy that did not play linebacker until he got to Penn state, uh, and it was a backup as a freshman. And then last year as a full-time starter, had over 100 tackles and was all over the field. And just, I mean, throw on the bowl game against Memphis. You know, Memphis is an explosive offense, likes to do a lot of things horizontally. And so, you know, a lot of things going on in the backfield. Michael Parsons was challenged in that game to, you know, not take the cheese and understand what they were trying to do. And I thought he did a terrific job. Made several plays in the backfield, 
just uh, the pursuit speed. He is just a a hunter out there in the run game. So uh, he's one of the top five talents in this draft, no question. We'll see if, uh, and time will tell if he ends up going in the top five. But I can show you examples on tape where you see zone instincts. Like we can show you examples of where he does, uh, you know, read and diagnose and do those things. You just want to see it more consistently. But he, he, I thought you did see some growth, some maturation in those areas as the season went on last year. And real quick, Fran, what you want to see in those types of games, Dane, power five against group of five. There's some really good group of five teams, Mm -hmm. but don't look for Micah Parsons because he's going to make himself known. And that's what you want at a top 10 caliber players that stand out on the tape. I don't want to say against lesser competition, but power five, group of five, he made himself known very easily on that tape. That's a good point. Let's go to another guy that it's easy to spot when you turn the film on, and that's Virginia Tech cornerback. Caleb Farley, 6'2", 207 pounds, uh, long-limbed corner, wears number three, plays on the left side on that Virginia Tech defense. And this is a guy that, when you're talking about tools, when we we did our ACC preview, I put him alongside C.J. Henderson from Florida last year, who I was really, really high on, ended up being one of the top 10, top 12 pick this spring. When you look at Caleb Farley, all the tools to be a great player, converted from wide receiver. He was the first player in this class to officially opt out. He's got great top-end speed just out of control as a tackler. That was the area where I really wanted to see, look, can you improve in this area? He's willing. It's not that he's not willing. He just takes bad angles. He'll duck his head at times. He just missed too many one-on-one opportunities. But, Dane, all the tools there for this guy to be a high-end pick, I I can't imagine him falling outside the top 20 when it's all said and done. I agree. And, you know, we we talk about it a lot, but – you know, context is important when you discuss these players and their journey and, you know, where they were in the past to get to this point. And Caleb Farley was a high school quarterback. He goes to Virginia Tech, probably knows he's probably not going to play quarterback, but they try him at receiver and then they move him to defense. And that's where he just really blew up, you know, like good sized player. He's just under 6'2". He's over 200 pounds. And he's got outstanding athleticism, as you would expect from a corner, but very balanced in his footwork. Uh, he stays coordinated, stays square in man coverage. There's some hiccups from off coverage, but man to man, this guy, he will lock it down. And so I, I agree with uh, some of what you said. He's very, very aggressive. And sometimes that is a fault of his. It works against him, both in the run game and versus the pass. But this is a guy who has all the tools to be a, a top flight NFL corner. I think he has a good chance, just like C.J. Henderson, to end up being a top 10 pick when it's all said and done. Yeah, and a guy that's faced some adversity in his career, too, coming off a torn ACL, 2018 being an honorable mention for the Mayo Clinic Comeback Player of the Year. So a guy that missed some time as well, but got himself healthy back onto the field. And I don't know what they're feeding those kids out in that Virginia Tech secondary between Divine Diablo at 6'3", 225, Adonis Alexander, now with the uh, Los Angeles Rams, is every bit of 6'3", Caleb Fairley, 6'2", 200 pounds, another big, tall, good-looking defensive back uh, for the Hokies. So another long corner uh, who actually was a senior who opted out of this season, that's Michigan corner Ambry Thomas, 6'183 pounds. Guys, I like him most when he's up at the line of scrimmage, and that is a press scheme uh, that he was playing in out there for Don Brown. I would say I certainly does not have the physical tools of Caleb Farley. I talked with a couple of his teammates this past spring, Josh Medalist, LaVert Hill, a couple of the guys there in the back end. 
who raved about him and just said, look, like this guy's got the ability to be a lockdown corner in that scheme, but also just talk about him off the field, just a real vocal leader. You hear him in a room. If you see him, he is a guy that's always making sure everyone's doing the right thing. Both guys, medalists and Hill had nothing but great things to say about Ambry Thomas off the field. You know, so it certainly brings those intangibles, I think, to the NFL. I'm interested to get your thoughts. We didn't talk about Ambry Thomas during our Big Ten preview. Dane, I'll come to you first. Thoughts on Ambry Thomas and his decision to enter the NFL draft? Yeah, and, you know, another good story, a, a guy who, uh, you know, was uh, really a special teamer earlier in his career, played a lot of special teams, wasn't sure where his career was going. And then last year uh, is really when he stepped it up and became a full-time starter and a, a more of a proven player. He was going into uh, this senior year as one of the better corners in the Big Ten. And I think he's one of the best senior prospects at that position really liked kind of like what you said you know versus the press he's decent size six foot 185 he's not afraid to get physical uh he will disrupt routes at the line of scrimmage he will remind receivers that hey i'm still here and uh, i'm going to use a sideline to my advantage and get you off uh, off balance and so he's just a really physically minded player love the competitive toughness and really liked what i saw last year on, on film and i was looking to see if he could maybe even take it a step further this year as a senior. It's it's so early, so it's hard to put, you know, round grades on these guys. But I thought, based off of last year, who's a fourth round or fifth round or somewhere in there, but I thought with certain improvements as a senior, he could maybe break into that top 100, break into day two, uh, but still a quality player who's going to be in the NFL next year and be part of a, a, an NFL team secondary. Yeah, he was a guy his position coach called a real competitor, a feisty player. You love hearing those types of uh, – trigger words of a kid that's a little undersized six foot 180 or so kind of in that Jabari Greer kind of category of defensive back but the NFL loves Michigan defensive backs because of all that press coverage pedigree they play in Don Brown's defense and when you put on the tape when you watch him at right corner opposite of David Long last year watch how rarely they have safety help when they're in press man you have to take that into consideration. The island, the trust they put in those corners, not only to play the stuff underneath, but to run vertically. Not an easy scheme for defensive backs, but they're usually very NFL ready. Jabari Greer. Like, I, I, like I, I had to like sit up in my seat after he pulled that name out. Yeah, I got uh, Nathan Vasher in there, too, if you want geez. another throwback. All right. Well, here's another throwback. Uh, a guy that we've talked about a couple years now in Cary Vincent Jr., the LSU defensive back. He's basically been their first guy off the bench, you know, whether he's playing in the slot and their regular nickel or playing at safety in their big nickel when they would move Grant Delpit down into the slot. Carrie Vincent, a versatile kid, you know, his father uh, was drafted in the sixth round by the New Orleans Saints when he was coming out of school. His father, unfortunately, uh, did pass away uh, just under two years ago, Um, coached him in high school track. And this kid, Vincent an outstanding track athlete, big time speed, uh, was on the freak list for a couple of years. This guy's got all the athletic traits you're looking for, even though he's a little bit undersized, I'd like to see him get a little bit better in reading things, peeing and diagnosing things. And he's just got to get better uh, as a tackler moving on to the, to the NFL level. If you like Carrie Vincent and you think, okay, look, this is what I think he can be. The guy I kind of ended up writing down, except he doesn't play with this edge was Demonte Casey when he was coming out of San Diego State, undersized corner, made that move to safety. I feel like you look at Vincent and say, okay, you know, that he's got that ability to play on the ball. And that was Casey's calling card was that he's got outstanding ball skills. And I think Vincent at times is he struggles to find the ball when he's got his back to the ball late downfield. But if he's if he sees it all the way, this guy can play it, you know, track it, go up, finish. 
and then playing at safety, that, that's more often than not what he's going to be asked to do. I don't know if I love Vincent uh, playing in the slot, but as a free safety playing in the middle of the field, I, I think there's ability there. Dan, interesting to get your thoughts on Kerry Vincent Jr. Well, that's interesting. Um, you don't like the size. I mean, he's 5'9", buck 75. So right there, that's, that's an yep. issue. If we're going to fast forward to the combine, I'll be shocked if he doesn't run one of the best 40-yard dashes in this entire class. I mean, this guy is a speedster, going to run the four threes, and that's going to help him. It's, it's going to help mask some of his issues. Um, and, you know, when you watch LSU secondary last year uh, with Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley, uh, I mean, Vincent was obviously the third best of that group. But that's not saying that much because of the caliber of corners uh, with those other two guys. I think he's a quality player who, uh, you know, is going to make mistakes. He's he struggled at times in man coverage, especially down the field. But, you know, with that speed, that's going to be able to help him quite a bit. I, I really would have liked to see him this year. I mean, I, it's surprising to see that he ended up uh, opting out. If he came back for a senior year instead of declaring for the draft last year, you know, I thought this is going to be a year where maybe we see a little more of him outside. Maybe we see a little more versatility from him in that LSU secondary. And with Derek Stingley still there, he was going to see plenty of targets. And so, uh, you know, it was eager to see how he was going to handle that. But, you know, he's still a quality player who wouldn't be shocked at all if he ends up being a day two pick because of that speed, because he's going to run the four threes. And that could, uh, you know, really help him uh, when it's all said and done. This is a guy that might run in the four twos and challenge the 40 yeah, yard sure. dash record. I mean, this is a guy that ran a 10 700 meter. That was the Ooh. second fastest in college last year. I mean, that would win the gold medal at the 1980 Olympics. This guy's got pure speed, but he needs to figure out where is he different from a guy like Demarcus Van Dyke, you know, that came out and ran in the four twos and quickly kind of fizzled out of the league because all he had was the speed. Is he's he a track really, guy playing football? Like that's Exactly. The he's not really a thumper. He takes a lot of the brunt of the contact. I love the way he runs the alley and gets from point A to point B. But when he gets there, there's a lot to be desired. So I see a Ladarius Webb style player, hmm. that undersized, wiry corner that easily projects to being more of a free safety. But he's going to show up with that speed, and let's just see where we can use him. So, guys, we've got uh, a – I think six or seven games this weekend in college football. We had our first college football game of the year this past weekend, Central Arkansas against Austin P. Dan, I'll come to you. Well, what, any takeaways uh, from our first game of the year? Uh, Central Arkansas coming back uh, and pulling out the victor. I mean, I, yeah. I tuned in. I wanted to see Robert Rochelle. He got penalized a few times. wasn't It wasn't the best showing for him. Some of those penalties were a little – Ticky tack, but you know, it's just good to see college football on the screen again. It, it, the first offensive play being a touchdown by Austin P. It was fun, and we weren't sure what we were going to see this year. And you know, we got a couple more coming up this weekend, and then the weekend after that, we've got the Big 12 starting up. So, you know, we're we got something. I, I tell you what, I, I appreciated watching that game more than I've appreciated a college football game in a long time, just because you don't know what you have until you lose it. And we were tinkering on possibly losing college football this year. So it was just a, a good feeling to watch it last weekend. I've been drawing up wingback schemes all week since watching that game. Some really yeah. cool alignments on offense from Austin P. Some false pulls, a lot of cool backfield action uh, with those two wingbacks and the single back uh, behind the quarterback. Dana, have you done Robert Rochelle? I have. Uh, you know, he's a you know former receiver. Knowing that going into the tape, I expected his footwork, his technique to kind of be all over the place, and it was all over the place. Uh, yeah, he's a really good athlete. Uh, he was on the, uh, Bruce Feldman's freak list. 
tall, lanky. It has some ball skills to him. It's just he really needs to uh, get better from a technical approach and understand some of the fundamentals. He likes to freelance quite a bit. And, you know, that you can get away with that at Central Arkansas playing in the FCS, but that's not going to fly in the NFL. So, you know, I think he's a day three pick and he should test uh, fairly well and, you know, he'll be drafted. It's just in order for him to stick in the league, really needs to take a more serious approach to the technical side of things. The ball skills were really, really impressive. You know, guys, six, mm-hmm. 197 pounds, his ability to track it and finish. I really caught my eye. I thought he read the quarterback really well from zone. I didn't love him in off man coverage. And I go speaking to like the technique. I thought that that really showed up uh, in his pedal, his ability to transition. I don't know that he quite plays to those test scores that we saw, but ultimately he's going to be intriguing. I, I think he does go uh, relatively early on day three. I don't know if he'll go like fourth round, but I thought he was intriguing. Certainly a guy, and they play Thursday night. So uh, we'll get another dose here yeah. of Central UAB, Arkansas. UAB, right? That's right. So we'll get another dose of Central Arkansas here uh, before the week is out. All right. So we're going to do the same thing we did last week, where we're each going to pick a player from both the Pac-12 and the Big Ten that we wish we could have seen this fall. Now, the, the rundown did say, in all caps, with the font like supersized in red letters and underlined, defensive senior, Ben. So, defensive senior. <laughs> uh, I went Uh-oh, with- I need a couple minutes real quick. <laughs> I need a couple minutes. <laughs> I went with Quiddy Pay, the, uh, the defensive end from Michigan. And this was a guy that you know, we have talked about. Uh, we did it on, on our Big Ten preview. The more I watched Quiddy Pay, the more I did like him. You know, he's strong on contact. He can play against the run. You know, he's a high motor kid. Made some great plays in pursuit. He grew on me as a pass rusher. The more I watch, I, don't, I like kind of like Rochelle. He, I don't know if he quite plays to those test numbers that have been uh, that have been out there. Um, but Quiddy Pay is a guy I would have really liked to see. Hey, can he make that next jump? I think his career high in sacks was six and a half. Can he get cl- up close? You know, to double digits. I'd be interested to see uh, what he would have looked like with another year. Now, like we talked about last week, Quidipe has not officially declared for the 2021 draft yet. And since all these players are given another year of eligibility, he still could decide to go back to Ann Arbor for another season. But I would have liked to be able to see Quidipe here this fall, Dane. Yeah, and that, that's a good pick. That's one of those guys that six and a half sacks last year, you throw on certain tapes and you get excited about them. Then you throw on other tapes and you're kind of eh, lukewarm. It's okay player, but, you know, want to see more out of him. You want to see more consistency week in, week out of just being a guy that can line up and dominate his opponent. If he's going to be a first round pick, which I think he can be, seeing him high on the freaks list, you know, if he ends up running the the six three seven three cone or whatever it was, I'll, I'll do something. We'll have to come up with something. But to put that in perspective, I think Vaughn Miller was in like the six sevens in the three cone. So if he's able to run almost two hundred and seventy pounds in the six threes, that's just pretty freakish. But a lot of ability there. It's just uh, you know, a former running back, a guy that's still putting things together. You wanted that extra year of development, and maybe we'll end up seeing it. We don't know what's going on with the Big Ten. I mean, the president's on the phone with Kevin Warren, the commissioner, trying to figure this thing out. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the Big Ten? If it's going to October, Thanksgiving, January, I, who knows? But something tells me he wants it figured out by November third. That yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, that something else that he can say that uh, he he fixed. And it's weird that it's weird that he's not talking to the Pac-12 though. It's uh, it's, it's funny it's that no strange. one's talked about the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, strange. It's always the Big Ten, but right. yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's it is what it is. I don't know what we're going to see from the Big Ten over the next four months, but if we're able to see Pay on the field along with the, you know, host of some of these other guys that we're about to talk about, I mean, that, that's okay with me. Ben, who's your player here? Break the ice. 
All right. So we're going to stick on the defensive side of the ball this week, boys. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I went with uh, Ohio State, and they have a bunch of interesting linebackers. I mean, they had Baron Browning, Tough Borland, and Malik hey, Harrison last one. year. I'm picking one, so you can only pick one. <laughs> Don't change me, Dean. But I'm going to go with Pete Werner, who's a really interesting player because he lined up all over the place for that defense, really more of a hybrid linebacker safety. And it was his role and his ability and versatility that allowed Ohio State to nearly lead the country in base defense snaps. And that's because he can play off-ball linebacker, on the line of scrimmage as a sandbacker, detached in the slot, roll to free safety, and play outside the numbers, matching up against tight ends quite a bit in his career as well. You could throw on that Penn State tape and watch him battle Pat Fryermuth a bunch or the Michigan tape and watch him battle Nick Eubanks, but he's a really interesting athlete. Now, the interesting thing about him is they played a lot of base defense, but when they went to sub package, he came off the field despite his ability to cover one of the best cover linebackers in the power five. So that's a really interesting. I would have thought Malik Harrison at nearly 250 pounds would be a better candidate to come off the field and sub package. But Pete Warner has a really good skill set, a really diverse skill set. I just want to see him kind of slide into a more comfortable full-time position because I really do see a style of a Fred Warner type of player, Mm. a guy that's really violent with his hands, can play at the point of attack, great stack and shed, pop ability to play the run, not only on the edge, but as an off-ball backer between the tackles and his ability to cover being a good athlete and the pedigree his dad played in the NFL. So I want to see him carve out a true role for that defense rather than seeing him line up in six, seven, eight different spots in the course of a game, but a really interesting player. He's very interesting. And I know some scouts, uh, you know, stamped him with a third round grade, some in the fourth round. He's, he's really interesting. I, I did not love the athleticism. I thought there were times where you see him in space and he, He's a little upright, a little rigid. Uh, so I liked him better downhill, but uh, he didn't give up a ton of plays when asked to go in reverse. So he, he's definitely interesting. And I'm, I'm sticking with that same position group with the Buckeyes. Baron Browning's my guy, who is a little different because I think he's a much better athlete. And he's a little bigger. He's just not as polished as a Werner is uh, in terms of understand, reading his keys and understanding what the offense is doing. But this was supposed to be his breakout year. I talked about it, you know, when we did the Big Ten preview. Baron Browning, a former five-star guy who has so much ability. Uh, he has the range. He has the mirror skills. You know, he has the length where he can rush the passer. He can be disruptive in coverage. There's so much talent there. It's just he hasn't been put it together to be a complete football player yet. And a lot of people thought this could be the year for him uh, in the scouting community. And so uh, I know some scouts thought he was the top senior linebacker this year ahead of uh, a Jabril Cox ahead of Werner and some of these other guys that are considered possible top 100 players. So Baron Browning without the benefit of this season, uh, you know, he's more of probably more of a fourth or fifth round guy, but he's still going to test well. And just like, you know, these other guys we've been talking about still has the option to go back if uh, he chooses to do so. And Dean, the interesting thing is he only played I think 360 snaps last year. Yeah. And just for perspective, I mean, you can go and look at like a uh, Patty Fisher or Kaliki Hudson that played nearly 800 snaps. So the guy that really hasn't been on the field a whole lot, I was really looking forward to him being a full-time player for the Buckeyes kind of eclipsing that 500 plus snap threshold just to see him on the field a little bit more, but his top snap total in his career was last year at nearly 360 snaps. I just want to see him on the field more. 
Yep, he was the fourth uh, <laughs> linebacker behind Tough Borland, Werner, and, and then Malik Harrison. So, yeah, with mm-hmm. Malik Harrison now in the NFL, uh, this was going to be his chance. He was going to play outside linebacker and uh, really thought this could have been his chance to thrive. So hopefully we do get a chance to see him back out there. So I'm going to take us out to the West Coast to uh, Levi Onzerike, the defensive tackle from Washington, a guy that we talked about. We all kind of liked him. We talked about him in our Pac-12 preview. Onzerike, just a, a very disruptive player. So I just thought, like, I would have liked to see another year where, you know, you could see him kind of develop into that role. He was used in so many different ways, lined up up and down the line of scrimmage, um, got his shoulders turned to the sideline by double teams a little bit uh, in the run game. I thought he got, you know, got caught playing high with, you know, poor pad level poor base at times but overall I mean this kid was just so disruptive would have loved to see him with another year of college football Ben uh who is your name for the Pac-12 I'm gonna go with Hamilton Rashid Jr the uh skinny outside linebacker for Oregon State that loves the swoop and dip blocks and led the country in TFLs last year and another 14 sacks as a first team All-American really interesting kid I just want to see him get stronger I want to see him put on another 5 10 15 pounds and really handle more blocks at the point of attack rather than having to work his way around all these blocks. He did that very well. And he loved the time stuff on that backfield action. He was really good at kind of shooting gaps from the backside and chasing plays with those long limbs. Reminds me a lot of Josh Allen from uh, University of Kentucky a couple of years ago, who was a bona fide first round pick. Similar questions at the point of attack, similar play strength questions, similar usage questions on whether he can hang uh, you know, in the run against an NFL tackle. And those are a lot of similar questions I have with uh, Rashid Jr. And there's other guys like that. Kyler Fackrell was a similar player in college that really relied on his athleticism, but has struggled at the point of attack in his career in the NFL. So there's a kind of a good and bad case for all these guys, but really just wanted to see how he added maybe 5, 10, 15 pounds and if he can maintain the speed and athleticism. Dan, who's your pick? So I'm going to pull a Ben and cheat a little bit. On the Stanford website, he's listed as a senior, so I feel like I'm okay. Okay, uh, all right, all right. Paulson Adebo, corner, who technically a redshirt junior, but he's listed as a senior. I was not a Paulson Adebo fan at all based off of last year's tape. That double move by Gabe Davis, uh, UCF, is just burned in my memory. And But you saw a lot of that on, on his tape with Adebo, who has height, has length. Uh, he's a strong tackler. I love his aggressiveness. Uh, and, you know, I, typical for a, a Stanford player, he's a smart guy. I mean, you see the quick processor where he can see things happening and react accordingly. But there are times where you see uh, the, the stiffness in his body where if he makes one wrong move, he's in trouble. And you know, outside on an island, he just has a hard time recovering. And so you see him late to react to comeback patterns. You see him heads turn the wrong way, late to find the football at times. And I, I just want to be able to see more consistency out of him because you do see the talent. You do see, uh, you know, flashes of him, you know, really getting it and understanding how to play the position, but it just, it doesn't happen nearly enough. And, you know, maybe he'll go, you know, I think he's probably best in a cover three scheme. I think he's probably, I would label him as being scheme specific right now based on what we've seen. But I was really hoping to get a chance to see him this year to maybe eliminate that narrative and show that he's a better player. You know, after that redshirt freshman year where he had like 24 passes defense, it was a first mm-hmm. team all-conference, all everything freshman teams. I had him pretty high on my board. It seems like in the last calendar year, 18 months, I just keep putting corners over him on my rankings. So he used to be kind of in that top five, and I just keep putting other corners above him. And now I have him all the way down to nearly 20. 
So I don't really know what we're getting as far as the 2018 version of a Debo or the 2019 version, like you're saying, where guys like Gabe Davis absolutely torched him. And it was tough to forget those type of uh, NFL caliber receivers really giving them problems. So guys, we've got a hard out here in a few minutes. So I'm going to save a bunch of these questions for later down the road, but I do want to have, I have one more for you guys uh, on our way out the door here. Who's the top defensive player drafted in April? I don't mean who's our top graded defensive player, but of these guys, who do you feel hears his name called first when we get to draft weekend? Yeah, Dane, I'll come to you first. You know, I, I think the candidates, you know, we've talked about them, Micah Parsons, Gregory Rousseau, but I'm going to go with a guy that we haven't talked about yet today, and that's Patrick Sertain, the corner from Alabama. We talked about him in the SEC preview, how if Jeff Okuda uh, was in this class, it'd be an interesting discussion about who would be cornerback one uh, between those two players. So, you know, I think Micah Parsons might be, you could argue, is the better talent right now, but with Patrick Sertain, he plays the much more important position and I think that could end up getting him drafted just as high as Okuda was last year. Well, it's going to be Patrick Sertain up until Michael Parsons shows up to Indianapolis in shorts <laughs> and a T-shirt and blazes every drill. I don't see any sort of edge rusher dominating the number one you know, defensive player category like a clowny, Miles Garrett, you know, Joey and Nick Bosa. I see much more of a, you know, Okuda coming off at number three last year, Denzel Ward coming off at number four. Both those guys were the first defensive guys taken in their drafts. And I see that similar with Patrick Sertan. I just think we're all going to get so excited about Micah Parsons after he tests in that one dominant year on the field. He's going to be a really tough player to pass up. Well, we yeah. thought that might happen this past year with Isaiah Simmons going maybe at three to the Lions, but they they stayed true to, uh, you know, I think the more important position and the guy they had rated higher. And so it's, we could see something similar happen in this upcoming class between Parsons and Sertan. The only other guy I, I feel like we're talking about potentially, and that would be a require a rise a little bit. I wonder if Christian Barmore, if he had a Quinn and Williams level season this year, mm -hmm. uh, could make a little bit of a rise there. And the defensive tackle group, so many names. We'll talk about them uh, moving forward. But, guys, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Next week, we're starting like – we're getting into like regular season game week. As I mentioned, we're getting into uh, two episodes a week starting next week. Excited to catch up with you guys after the weekend's action. We'll talk to you then. Well, great stuff there from Ben and Dane. I can't wait to get things started. Like I said, next Monday with those guys. Really fun segments I've got planned uh, for all three of us once the season gets underway. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Now, real quick, again, a reminder, best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to PMoney88, who left a comment just saying how much he loves the podcast and he listens all year round. He's loved the segments uh, with me, Ben, and Dane. Um, thanks so much to uh, PMoney there. And he said, you know, over the past five years, who are some of your highest-graded prospects? Because I feel every year we get caught up using the term generational talent because of the overall talent turnover year after year after year. So I'm curious who you view as actual great prospects over the last few years. So, you know, to me, and I agree with you, I hate the term generational because, you know, generational, that's, that's just not existent. Every year, uh, there are going to be some great prospects that come out of the draft and you say, you know, this guy is elite at the position, a rare prospect, someone that does not come around all that often. And I think when you look at this past spring, really the guy that kind of encapsulates that was Chase Young, right? And you would say, oh, man, like this guy 
generational talent. Well, a couple of years ago, 2017, all right, so three years ago, we said the same thing about Miles Garrett, you know, that this guy was a generational talent. And I think when you look at, you know, the physical tools, those guys, even though I thought that Joey Bosa was a more advanced player and to me a better prospect, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I just felt like he was more pro-ready, what those guys have in their bodies, the tools that they have at their disposal, with their explosiveness, their power, their twitch, you know, their, their ability to get off the ball, their just their sheer size uh, to be able to do that at that level. That's what makes them generational, quote unquote, or, or just rare talent. So to me, the guy from this draft was Chase Young, even though he had areas that he needed to improve, just a really, really impressive physical specimen. I'm not sure if I had a guy from 2019 that I felt that strongly about. Then you go to 2018. Quentin Nelson, for sure, at offensive guard, uh, and that has shown up. You know, to me, like I think the, the big things that all of us said, uh, you don't really take a guard in the top five or the top ten, dot, 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 unless it's Quentin Nelson. And, and that's kind of – that was a universal thought, I feel. Uh, a lot of people felt he was the best overall player in that draft. And when you talk, think – you know, look at the things that he did, not just from a physical standpoint, but even from a mental standpoint, some of the blitz pickups he made, crossing the formation, seeing guys coming from the third level from 20 yards away on the right side of the field when he's lined up on the left, like, you you didn't see that from anyone, much less a college player, but even from an NFL player, Quentin Nelson was just rare. You know, you go through the running back spot, I think when you look at Saquon Barkley in 2018, you say, yeah, like, generational talent, but even in 2016, Ezekiel Elliott was kind of viewed that way by, you know, by a lot of people, including myself. I, I looked at him and said, yeah, it's not every year that a guy like an Ezekiel Elliott comes out, but Saquon Barkley was just his explosiveness and his raw power and his speed. And uh, obviously the guy had all the things you wanted off the field as well. Saquon Barkley, certainly a rare player. Derwin James uh, at his size, and I know he's been banged up and it was really tore me up to hear about his most recent injury, um, torn his meniscus and looks like he's going to miss a lot of time out there uh, for the LA Chargers. Once again, he has just not been able to stay healthy, but Derwin James was just a, a ridiculous prospect coming out of Florida state in 2018, 2017 talked about miles Garrett, Ruben Foster. Uh, when you look at on the field, what he was able to do for the Alabama crimson tide, he was a rare linebacker prospect coming out. Um, you know, in terms of arm talent at the quarterback position, you know, I was not the biggest Patrick Mahomes fan, and we've talked about this uh, here on the show. You know, he was a guy that I, I was low on. Uh, I definitely missed him. I learned some things from Patrick Mahomes, but every time I talked about him, the one thing that you could not get past with him was that he was a rare arm talent. And I say arm talent, not just arm strength. And I'm not saying like, oh, he can throw it 85 yards. I mean, like the accuracy, the ball placement from different platforms on the run from the pocket. Every Everything just low. It was A plus 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 when it came to his arm strength and velocity, ball placement, touch. Really, really impressive. And that obviously uh, has shown up in the NFL. 2016, I'll tell you what, uh, and I don't just say this lightly, you know, the best player, the best quarterback that uh, I graded coming out was Carson Wentz, you know, in terms of not just from that year. I mean, even going back over the last few years, I just felt, especially with the offense he came out of, with his physical tools, uh, I was extremely, extremely high on Carson Wentz coming out of North Dakota State, uh, especially after seeing him up close, um, you know, and just getting a sense of what he was like off the field as well was just really, really high uh, on Carson Wentz. But it's tough to call those guys quarterback generational because it feels like every, you know, obviously quarterbacks go – Number one, number two, number three, every year almost in the NFL draft. So you, it's tough to say, oh, yeah, this guy's generational. You wouldn't say that about Trevor Lawrence either. Uh, obviously, who's the front runner to be the number one pick here in the 2021 NFL draft. Also in 2016, 
Laramie Tunsil, I thought was just a unique talent, uh, especially when you look at a guy that big with his foot quickness was really, really impressive. And, and obviously, he fell out of the top 10 um, due to some off-field concerns. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, I was infatuated with coming out of Florida State, uh, played corner, played safety. So, so impressive. Um, loved watching him uh, at Florida State. I already mentioned Ezekiel Elliott. And then when you go back to 2014, uh, I just did the last uh, you know handful of years. Aaron Donald was the one guy that I would look back and everybody kind of said, yeah, this guy is a rare bird in terms of how he's built, what he can do, how unstoppable he was, uh, not just against the run, but even against the pass. Just a remarkable prospect. Those would be the handful of guys that I would say, yeah, like elite you know, whatever term you want to throw around, if you want to throw the, the generational uh, tag on those guys, all these guys were rare prospects, in my opinion, with what we saw, again, on the film. Some of these guys had other issues, whether it be off-field or, or medical. I mean, when you talk about the film, outstanding, remarkable prospects. P-Money, thanks so much for the rating. Thanks so much for the question. Hope we were able to answer it here uh, on the show. As I mentioned earlier, next week, we're going to twice a week, guys. I'm really, really excited to get things going. We've got, uh, we got six or seven games of college football this weekend. We'll talk all about it next Monday here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.